Thunderbrunt. I thought we would just go quiet and see how long it would take. <laughs> I guess you just barrel on. Hey, it's Bob. It's making awkward as hell. Uh, welcome to Writer's Blockbusters, the show where we treat the final edit of the movie like the script. Today, we are going to talk about... It's an anniversary, isn't it? Of, yeah, 20th. 20th anniversary. We're going to talk about the comedy Legally Blonde. But before we do that, we're going to introduce ourselves. I am Jimmy George. I am a screenwriter and full-time script consultant. My Twitter handle is at Jimmy R. George. I am Jamie Nash. I am a screenwriter and author of Save the Cat Writes for TV and a Reese Witherspoon Stan. <laughs> uh, I am Bob Rose. I'm a guy on this podcast and I do some other stuff. And I am 50-50 on Reese Witherspoon standing. <laughs> mainly because i remember back in the day uh she had kind of a beef with kevin smith so i've always had like a marred view of her because of that i, I agree that that set a bad tone i read his book where yeah. he greasy kind of threw her under the bus greasy Reesey. yeah but you know i i like her enough that i think she has her own i bet she has her own story on that and For maybe sure. i wouldn't like kevin smith as much <laughs> <laughs> oh no her talent is what i love it's just the other stuff you know the, the greasy recent yeah. stuff i don't really know what his problem was with her either he kind of is a little vague about it just slightly vague you know if i can remember reading his book jamie it was like it was like she compared clerks to slc punk and he took offense to it or something i don't remember anyway it has nothing to do with love that movie <laughs> right it doesn't <laughs> I, I think it was the comparison. It wasn't the quality. Um, so, Freeway was the bomb. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a big Freeway. fan of Overnight Delivery with Paul Rudd and Reese Witherspoon. If you remember that movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Legally Blonde. Jamie, who wrote this shit? Who wrote it? Well, it's it's actually based on a book, which is kind of surprising to some people. Mm -hmm. um, a woman named Amanda Brown wrote a i guess it's a fictionalized version of her own legal experience when she went to stanford and that manuscript ended up in a bidding war in the mid 90s uh i think i think i read that she this is i i did my research on wikipedia <laughs> and it's big time <laughs> research it said she was she was initially turned down writing the book but then submitted the book in pink and sent it I don't know if it was sent it. I mean, I'll throw that in. And and that's when the agent took notice. And shortly after, some bidding war started for movie studios uh, to buy the rights to this book. And eventually, two screenwriters were put on this book. Karen McCullough and uh, Kirsten Smith was... I, I think I saw Kirsten Smith once at in Austin. I think she was... Oh, nice. She showed up there. Yeah, back in the day. Um, 
I'm, I'm doing a quick look. I'm oh, just gonna I, look at... I remember seeing they wrote 10 things I hate about you, that team. Which oh, they is did. like a great back-to-back. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it was like 10 things I hate about you, then this. So the reason I remember her is because 10 things I hate about you was in my early screenwriting days. It was one of my inspirational um, screenplays. I, I love really? the screenplay. Dude, yeah, we should do an episode on it. We should do it, man. At Shakespeare. It, it really, it, exactly. I, there was something about it. I loved the movie. I thought the movie was a lot of fun. But when I read the actual script, it was very instructive for the tone and uh, just kind of the flavor that they put into that script. And I remember, I think I wanted to tell her that, but I didn't get the opportunity. Like I was going to do some lame fanboy complimentary thing, <laughs> but um, I, I missed my opportunity. And then it never, but I remember, I remember working myself up, like, how am I going to say this exactly? But because it, it was truth. And, and then when she was there, I was like, oh, I, I should tell her how much this script helped me out in my writing. Um, and it was the one I used to like when people used to ask me, like, what script would you look at? And this goes back 20 years. I'd probably give you a different one now. I don't know what I'd give you. But I used to say, go check out 10 Things I Hate About You. Wow. That's amazing, man. That's a surprising. I mean, I love that movie. So it's, I'm not saying I don't like the movie, but I wasn't expecting you to say that. Let's say that. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I was not expecting great. Jamie. We're to, totally going to do an episode on that movie. <laughs> was not expecting yeah. Jamie Nash to be a uh, Ten Things I Hate About You super fan. I am ten and Reese. <laughs> I don't. What does Kevin Smith say about Ten Things I Hate, hate about, about You? you. We'll find out. <laughs> we'll research it and then we'll find out for that episode. Also, huge Julia Stiles fan. So that's mm. cool. yeah, save too. the last dance, man. Yeah. <laughs> This is like we're just gonna do like nineties. Yeah, we're not even talking about the script or no. screenwriting. Techniques. We're gonna talk about all our favorite like nineties and aughts tween movies. Change the theme. Everybody's logged what? off already. Three three old what white you... guys talking about their favorite teen <laughs> movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the way, this reminds me of a thing in Sister Act. No. <laughs> Look. I say we do sister act at some point. That 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 being a good episode, but we're just planning out future episodes yeah. instead of actually doing one right now. <laughs> but yeah, I was going to say. But, but, by the way, Jason Mew's favorite movie, Sister Act. <laughs> no. I would think you would like Sister Act too, way more. I've Absolutely, seen, probably, it seems probably. way more Jason Mew's. Um, yeah. So back on topic, Legally Blonde. Not yeah, a lot of people don't don't talk about this as an a, as a novel adaptation, and we're not yeah. gonna. That's not gonna be something we talk about. Usually we do, but there's so much other craft to talk about. I feel like just talking about the adaptation. I definitely didn't compare notes between what's in the movie and what's, what's in, in the, the book. book. <laughs> what they changed. That'll yeah. be a great podcast. We'll do that next. Maybe that, <laughs> but also that substance from it being a book might actually have something to do with why it works so well. You know, mm-hmm. like. I'm sure that this could a lot of people just assume this is a studio comedy with the traditional course of coming to realization. Right. Mm-hmm. But I guess the book actually probably helps it have that maybe, substance. You know what I maybe mean? Maybe get more depth. Yeah. 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 Okay. Like that's where yeah. like the longevity comes from. Um, I, it, it made, by the way, it made $96 million domestically. Uh, Forty-five million dollars internationally for a worldwide take of one hundred and forty-one million dollars. Twenty yeah. years ago, I mean, that's good. 
Yeah. yeah. The budget and the budget was 18 million. Oh, so yeah. Very that's low a budget. Budget. yeah. That's wow. a huge shit. And I'm sure they weren't expecting these kind of numbers from this movie. Right. right. You know, they probably were going to make it for 18, make about 30, maybe 25, and then make a ton of money off of DVDs. I, VHS was gone then, right? Yeah. Uh, 2001, it was gone, right? There was still Blockbuster. You could still rent it. They but, had they had no uh, idea they were uh, making one of the great Harvard movies. Right. <laughs> this this is a great double feature with the social network. Like <laughs> you watch it together. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of really works. And then and then watch the skulls. Yeah, yeah. the skulls. <laughs> this is what this podcast has become. <laughs> Early 2000s <laughs> references, 90s references. <laughs> remember when? Remember, remember that movie? <laughs> Let's do She's All That. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So back to the actual outline instead of recommendations. <laughs> uh, creating three-dimensional characters. Let's talk about that. Wow, wow, that was a great transition. It, oh, my transitions are terrible. You're, yeah, you've really got to work on that. <laughs> no. We're, we're going to get you some segway. Second City lessons or something. I don't I know what. I feel like we admit, that, we admit there's an outline. They know. What do yeah, they want? man. Yeah. I, I think you could hide it a little better, though. Um, you know, <laughs> you could you could have said something like, you know, we're three dimensional guys. Speaking of three dimensions, <laughs> um, you know, uh, there's a way to hide it. Come on. Uh, so if you want me to try to hide it i will i i think just for this podcast i'd like to see the attempt the attempt uh, to hide it okay for, for today's podcast just to see we'll let the uh listeners the decide and do it J jamie they just prefer... wants me to improv things like i do, I do. <laughs> between all the subjects okay <laughs> that's right that's right i got a suggestion you're in a do the whole podcast what, as if you're in a well, yeah. guys, what's the reason we love those movies from the late 90s and the early aughts? It's because of the characters we remember. It's because yeah, of the right. way they yeah. were formed. And what about this movie yes. forms the character, the characters yes. of Elle Woods so well, and her friends, and even the villains? See, now you're arcing as a character. <laughs> speaking of character arcs, <laughs> speaking of character arcs, uh, creating a three-dimensional character is, is really important. And... Uh, Reese's character in this movie, the L. Woods character, and again, I think you're right. It probably harkens back to the book because the book was based on real life. It didn't have this kind of stylized '90s comedy um, like Ten Things I Hate About You or She's All That or the Jim Carrey. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, but <laughs> it. So, but this movie, um, she she has more than just the stereotypical blonde that is. Uh, that you'd almost expect from the title. Um, and so here's here's an admission. I am not sure I ever saw this whole movie till this week. <laughs> wow. You yeah. agreed to do it so quickly, too. I was, like, assuming you were kind of a fan. No, not, not – it, it really wasn't a movie that, um, for whatever reason, I, I went to see. And I think I, – well, I – it's weird. I know a lot about it, so maybe I did watch it, but I, I have a feeling I've seen pieces of it, mm -hmm. uh, but I've never seen the whole thing. And I real I was actually really surprised when I turned it on because I was like, I, I kind of knew it was always good because so, there's been so much written about it and so many people have talked about it and they use it as an epitome of a kind of screenplay structure and character and arc and all these other things. So I kind of knew going in that it was going to be better than I than what the poster kind of would tell me about it. Um, 
And uh, I think it starts with this three-dimensional character. And one of the things, and I was talking to Jimmy about this, not in reference to this the other day, but I kind of, there's an exercise you can do to come up with three-dimensional characters um, that may help a, a uh, and so I'm kind of going to walk you through this exercise while talking about the movie. But if you take a character and you say, what is their Jekyll and Hyde, so, so to speak? So what's their outer self and what's their inner self, okay? So in, in Legally Blonde, we're kind of handed what, what has to be the outer self. It's a blonde, you know, and everything that goes with it. A California um, blonde. Thing. California blonde. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the outside character. Cosmo that's, blonde, yeah. That's, that's the Dr. Jekyll, we'll call it. That's the, out, the exterior character. And then when you're coming about a hide, the, the idea is when you're, so when you're doing this for your own characters, you start with, okay, what's the quintessential personality trait that this character has? And you write that down. And then you say, well, what's, what's either like the complete opposite of that or what is something that undercuts that? What's a tension like that doesn't mix? Like the two just, they're, they're water and vinegar, so to speak, in some ways. And in her case, I'm not exactly sure. Well, how would you, how do you think you'd phrase her inner self, the, the, the paradox, the thing that doesn't fit I mean, against well, California I mean, I Blonde? The I mean I can say where the movie tells us where it happens is in that in the scene in the fashion in the clothes store, right? The inner self okay. is yeah. that she's actually really yep. knowledgeable. She remembers facts. She remembers information. She retains it, and she's ready to defend herself when she's being challenged for who people think she is on the outside, right? Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right, and I, I'm not sure what how I'd label that. Like, is it capable? Is it, you know, what, what would the smart. personality... I mean, I feel like smart... Smart? I think, I, I think it's just the movie constantly keeps beating the drum that people don't think she's smart because of her exterior. Yes. It's intelligence, yeah. right? Okay. The woman in the clothing okay. store thinks she's an idiot. Yeah. Yes. Everyone assumes yeah. she's she's dumb. So, and that's a great example. So, um, so let's just say uh, super smart... California blonde and those two things fight against each other. So now you have like a, now you have multiple dimensions. Now you're just not dealing with a cliche. Now you're just not dealing with somebody that's one dimensional. Um, I, I remember I saw a thing, uh, we talked about tensity and that's what really this is, this idea of tensity, two ideas that fight against each other. And they talked about like star Wars and they said like, you know, Yoda is this, um, rickety old old feeble warrior you know super powerful warrior he's like got these two things that fight against each yeah. other um but then jar jar is a character that just has one thing he's just the fool he doesn't have intelligent behind it right, he doesn't right. have, yeah. and that's why jar jar isn't a great three-dimensional character i mean if george lucas wasn't a coward he would have been yeah if he, and that's why, like, Sith Jar Jar is interesting, right? Right. If they went like, through with that actual plot line, that would have been incredible. But yeah, yeah, that so didn't happen. And, and that's what that's what this is really chasing. So when you're coming up with your characters, you know, try to come up with those two things that fight against each other. And then the last step is brainstorm scenes that show that hidden, that inner character. Like brainstorm some scenes. And I think Bob already nailed it. That scene in the where where the girls like. Oh, I love when these California blondes come in. We can totally it was, screw them over. It was California blondes with daddy's money. 
with daddy's money. Right. And then, and then she's like, she just puts that person in her place and shows yeah. that inner side. Um, and I think if you can do that, it's one of these little exercises you can do before you start writing is to come up with those Jekyll and Hyde parts and then try to come up with some way to show the Hyde part, you know, show that inner side, the hidden side, the secret side uh, somewhere early in your story, usually in your setup. So also, that, that's my that's that's my spiel on three dimensional characters. I feel it's like very effective. It's, it is. And I, I was going to say, like, one of the interesting things about this particular movie with this point um, is that I feel like if you look at the movie, with the exception of Luke Wilson, like putting him aside, I think the characters that actually do think she's all those uh, opposing values are her actual dumb blonde friends. Like they believe, mm-hmm. I don't think they, they know she's not dumb. They know that <laughs> they know that she is all of that. They know both sides of her personality. Right. And they're the ones that also walk through the world with the same stigma. Right. Yeah. It's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. They're like, they're like self reflections of her for sure. Right. So, <laughs> when we want to create a character like this with all these different opposing magnetic forces, what we do is we usually try to make a list or sometimes we may, might write out a, a whiteboard, right? Like, right. Yeah. To, to make mm-hmm. these characters. Is this, how's this transition working, Jamie? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it, Bob, when he was talking about making the list of the scenes. I was like, here, let's, let's get here it, it back. Is. So it's, yeah, throwing it up for you. <laughs> so with that in mind, let us revisit how one would write a whiteboard for characters like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 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 past episodes, if if you're listening for the first time, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we've uh, we've talked in in uh, several episodes about the concept of the whiteboard. Um, and, it, and as we've also said, it doesn't have to be a whiteboard. It's whatever you are comfortable with that where the ideas just flow and you have a place to write them all down. It could be an app on your phone. It can be a notebook. It could be index cards. It could be a file on your computer. Sidewalk chalk. What the, whatever <laughs> the hell it is where you just go and you come up with uh, – the, the goal is to come up with people, places – things scenarios dialogue all the possible things that uh this premise could deliver and uh and if you focus on premise specificity you're going to come up with so much material you know what what is it jamie it's that hundred idea theory right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well one of the best ways to test whether you have a good idea is to come up with a hundred and if your one is still the best or in the top 10 it must be pretty good <laughs> but um uh, i read scripts all the time i'm reading amateur scripts like five days a week and what i'll read is that scene that you describe at the dress store in this movie i'll read a script that has like three scenes like that mm-hmm. and that's it and the rest of the movie is sort of the rest of the script will be a something that could really happen in any story. Um, it's not premise specific. So what I see constantly, I would say the number one most common problem I see in amateur scripts is not doing the whiteboard exercise, is not taking the time to come up with as many premise specific people, places, things, and scenarios 
that uh, you could only experience in this movie with this premise. Let me say a little more so, casually for people. In this one, you would basically you'd come up with the character of Elle Woods, and then you'd ask, what would Elle Woods be like walking into a Harvard classroom? What would she be like right. walking down the hall? What would she bring with her? to live at Harvard. Like you have to, you're asking all those questions and writing oh, yeah. down endless yeah. questions. like that. Yeah. It never stops. What if it's, it's an endless, it's an endless barrage of what if scenarios. Right. And, and yeah, what does she do I, with her dog? Where does she go to vent? You know? Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I, and I think one of the key things is to look at it from the two different POVs. So if you look at it from her POV experiencing Harvard for the first time, but you also look at it from Harvard's experience, experiencing her health. for the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you, then you get then you get kind of double duty out of that. You can kind of look at it from yeah. both ways. Like I'll give some examples. What does a sorority paddle look like in this premise? It's going to be like covered in gemstones, and it's going to be glitzed out. Well, the the resume I feel like is like. If you want to understand what premise delivery is, mm -hmm. the pink resume, the scented is, pink resume, <laughs> is the scent right. And she even says, she even says, I think it gives it something a little special, extra special, don't you? That is making the ordinary extraordinary. That mm -hmm. is premise delivery is making something ordinary extraordinary because it instantly represents what the movie is. So. That's the that's the idea. I, I I feel like we could just do whiteboard for the whole damn movie, but I, I just wanted to retouch on it since we haven't talked it, about it in a while. It's it's funny. The one that it's a very minor detail, but for some reason it makes me laugh is when she's there on the first day of class and she has that feathered pen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know why. That, that feathered pen just cracks me up. And the <laughs> and the teacher's like staring her down and she's just writing away and the feathers kind of flitting back and forth. But it just, it shows you that even, and who knows, that might have not even been in the script. That might have been a prop person's mm -hmm. whiteboard. But they um, were doing whiteboard. Yeah, exactly. But you can also, also see where that's... to the laptops. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody has the laptop. Yeah, exactly. She yeah. Has, And she has that one colored, you know, laptop that's rounded off. And a little pink notebook. Looking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you could also see where where you would write that in a script. You could get kind of playful and says, you know, as L as Elle's feather pen flits in the air, you know, unnoticing also, the, the professor or something. When, when we finally get, when we get her, when she finally has her moment of realization that she's going to, you know, try. I love the fact that they had her buy like a colorful computer. <laughs> like yeah. It's so her. Like even, yeah. even then, you know, even then you still get that little bit of delivery with her choice. It yeah, has to exactly. Be exactly. Right. Because if, you, if she's just going to a store and buying a computer, then it's not premise specific. Like it's just it could happen in any movie, but they made it so that it happens in this movie. Yeah, she yeah. buys the orange and white, or it's I forget what and color. And she's it is. still in the bunny outfit. <laughs> yeah, right, like, right. Yeah, he's yeah. like, what? Don't ask. <laughs> and along the lines of like how you said that it's not just L reacting to Harvard, it's Harvard reacting to L. So Harvard's technically the environment or the society, right? So. Like, how does the society act as the villain in this case? So, Jamie, we talked about... <laughs> That's hey, me! That <laughs> it's so obvious I'm doing these transitions. No, dude, you I, gotta keep it going. I, I, didn't even, I didn't even notice it that time. It was amazing. <laughs> Bob, so smooth. Oh, God. 
I, I'm staring we, we at the bullet points and I didn't, didn't notice, notice I was doing that. Okay. We're tracking Bob's character arc right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, so uh, this movie is a bit unconventional from a, from a broad comedy standpoint in that it doesn't have a central villain. Um, and that's because the villain is actually society. And uh, this is this movie is a great example of if you've got I, I, I forget the way that Jamie, you've articulated it very well about society's ill being the the mm -hmm. villain. Of course I have. My book, <laughs> Save the Cat Rights for Kids. <laughs> yeah. no. uh, but just to transition to Save the Cat super quick, I, I decided because it is one of his major ones and Save the Cat goes to the movies. So I, I haven't opened this book in ages, but I'm, I flipped it open to look at Legally Blonde. And Legally Blonde is a full triumphant uh, in the in the Save the Cat genre. Okay. So, so full triumphant is a undervalued fool, quote unquote. And it usually doesn't mean necessarily that they are a fool, but that's the way that world perceives them. The world. Right, right. right. And you, usually they're kind of innocent, naive. They're slightly innocent, naive because they don't, maybe they don't judge the world like the world judges them, which is exactly. an amazing thing about her character. She's what, not yeah. what, judging anybody. Would, um, would using the term idiot savant work here at all? A bit. I, 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 you know, like Elf is an example of yeah, full yeah, triumphant. Yeah. And uh, um, being there is the classic full triumphant. One of my um, favorite movies of uh, all time. Yeah, that's that's like the epitome of one. Yeah. Um, so, so Legally Blonde, he dubs as a fool out of water, is what he dubs it. Um, and uh, full out of water, you can imagine what that is. It's just somebody that goes from their world and goes to a new world. I mean, Elf might be a little like that, too. And mm -hmm. in, in that world, they're totally out of place. I guess Elf's out of place in both worlds, sort of. Um, but anyway, she ends up in this new world where she's out of place, and they judge her uh, like she's a fool, like she's she's worthless. And she has these hidden powers that will ultimately be triumphant and will kind of uh, people will come, the world will come to appreciate, that world will come to appreciate her. So this is the long-winded way to go to the society part. But the society part is the establishment um, that she comes up against that thinks she's a fool. Um, there's another Blake Snyder genre, Blake Snyder genre, called um, Institutionalized. Mm -hmm. And the big difference with that is, so Institutionalized is something like um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, maybe. Mm -hmm. There's Ratchet um, is Society. Yeah, yeah, right, right. yeah. Um, training day he lists as like you know the society of cops or something. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of military stuff. Um, so it's kind of like you enter this new organization and they try to assimilate you. And if you're going to assimilate, you either have to quit or uh, blow up or whatever. You know, there's only a few things you can do, but it's all about assimilation. Where in those movies, the difference is this is a, this is where I'm finally landing this. The difference is um, in most uh, institutionalized, it's not a the person isn't viewed as a fool. They actually want to bring them into the fold, but they you know they question whether that's the right thing. Mm. Where in full full triumphant, it's like the person doesn't fit at all. They don't they don't even pay attention to you're them, saying society's you know? trying to push them away like get you don't belong here leave you know yeah they have no value to the society right where right. in the other in the other one society is trying to make them assimilate um and that's what where the tension lies in in full triumphant it's all about the person uh just 
rubbing up against the society. So it, they're similar in some ways, but I, a long-winded way of saying um, that's how these movies tend to function against. Okay, that's a pattern of this type of movie. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if you if you identify that you're telling that type of story, then this is this is the way to do it. And also, and, it's responsible for how well it builds too, right? Like mm-hmm. it actually continues to prove them wrong. Break down walls, yeah, absolutely. Break down walls, yeah. And, and, and the, the key is to put a face on that society. Exactly. And I think this, or faces. Yes. And I think that's what this movie does, because mm-hmm. you have Selma Blair as kind of a face of a student that might be kind of snarky mm-hmm. or something. I know there's also the the problem that she's the fiance. But, and then you have various professors also that become the face mm-hmm. of the villain at times. Yes. Um, yeah. And you, and you can also... Shop. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Jim. Yeah, the dress shop worker is a face of society. Miss, you know, it's it's all about the the like I I I was labeling it as stereotyping and bias based on you know people's station in life, and and if you if you really think about it, like so so it's the dress shop worker does it. Warner Elle's parents are telling her like, what what do you want to do with this for? They're they're stereotyping their own daughter. Um, it's it's uh. Uh, Paulette's ex-husband is stereotyping uh, Paulette. Like uh, it's not just L. It's it's sort of all around. Like ev- everybody is is like a version of that in L's way. And and I see this done a lot, right? Where where society is the villain of the story, but we don't get faces of society. We just get like random occurrences where society is the villain. Whereas this one does a great job of like giving actual characters to represent that. So. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. it also has like um, I guess there's two characters in the movie I could think of that would be like society's defectors, where they're part completely part of it, but they also can step out of it, right? Like like Luke Wilson, obviously, but also the nerdy guy. Like, yes, yeah. he's completely a hundred percent supposed to be at Harvard. His intelligence is there, but also he has literally no problem accepting L. You know, like, and he's also somebody that is experiencing that stereotyping based right. on being a nerdy guy. Um, so yeah. What, he, I, could, he could have his own movie, really. He uh, could. Yeah, he could. His, his perspective at Harvard. His his uh his literal like stare at her when she's introducing herself is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and literally that that moment. Um but I was gonna say like a character like him, is that something we would consider a window character? I think so, and but but the main the main the main window. <laughs> I tried, man. I tried. You, you got it, You got it. Now, step two in the evolution is not to underline your own transitions. Yeah, <laughs> with, with laughter or or having a need to call them out because you feel so cheesy. <laughs> no, so um, we've we've we barely have ever talked about this um the concept of window characters um the often what what i'll read i'm sorry i keep bringing up client scripts but you know it's just it's 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 relevant it's um yeah so so often in in a in a lesser so 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 often what i'll read is scripts with supporting characters and and the writer does a fantastic job with characterization and giving them their own beats and their own moments. Um, and Paulette has her own story. She has her own 
you know, several beats of growth and own, you know, she has her own mini story within the movie. But Paulette and Emmett's function for the story is to give us a window into Elle and how she's feeling about her progress and her regression. And what, what I often read is scripts that get everything right except for that. They never use that supporting character to ask questions and probe uh, the main character about how they're feeling. How are you feeling right now? Essentially, like your supporting character's main function is to make the audience, give the audience an opportunity for the main character to vocalize like their feelings. Like, how are you feeling right now, Elle? Tell us. Paulette's gonna gonna let you tell us. Emmett's gonna let you tell us. And we get all the big moments, all the big emotional moments are when Elle is like revealing to Paulette how she feels about what we just saw happen. And what how Elle, Elle is revealing to Emmett about how she feels about what just happened in the scene before. I, uh, to, the specific moment I can think of, Jimmy, is when they uh, they confront Paulette's ex to get her dog back. And there's that moment in the car after they have su- successfully gotten the dog back where Elle just takes a moment and looks at her and nothing is said. And you get the feeling that she's like, OK, I know what I need to do in my life. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. Like it's literally her looking through a window to herself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like it, just to be <laughs> literal about it. But if you watch if you watch the movie for the moments where we get the best understanding of how Elle is feeling, it'll be in those scenes where she's talking to Paulette and where she's talking to Emmett because that is their function and that, and they're used very effectively in the, in the story. So. Right. And, and both of them are classic B story, you know, helper character, you know, sometimes they're mentor characters. Sometimes it's the Obi-Wans, but in this case, characters like that are kind of the B story Obi-Wans of the story that help her figure out her personal themes her internals and they, they track through a story throughout. Uh, but that's, that's their main function. And this movie there, it seems like the characters are either kind of uh, an echo of L herself Mm-hmm. Or their, you know, or Luke Wilson, which is obviously forming as a love interest. But you know what I mean, like uh, Ali Larder. I forget the name of uh, Brooke Wyndham. Brooke Wyndham and Paulette are both reflections, reflections. of the type of person right. that society views as L. Yeah, in different statuses. Like Paulette's obviously, you know, she's viewed as lower class, and then the other, yeah. she's upper rich, and you know. They're experiencing the same right. like villains society as the villain a, problems a, that L are. A dumb L blonde is. who works in a hair salon and a dumb blonde who married into money. It's like the, they're taking the stereotypes. But, you yeah, know. and they're not really dumb. They're it's not. Just, no, you know, no, none of them are dumb. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're stereotyped as being that. Yeah. Right. Because the society's viewing them as broken and in some way. And they're, of course. Less, less than. Less than, right. And of course, nobody's perfect. L is not mm-hmm. perfect, right? L has things about her that are that that are need in need of maintenance. So what are yeah. those things? So one of Blake's big things uh in his book and we're talking about Save the Cat here again, but <laughs> this is, you know, one of the quintessential Save the Cat discussed movies that used the, that the book uses as a teaching tool. Um 
Blake talks about setting up your character in the first act with six things that need fixing. It doesn't always have to be six, but generally, like, the great characters have around six. And this is taking directly from the book. Um, they generally fall into five categories. Changes in attractiveness, false beliefs, or personality changes, um, strained personal relationships, not being entrusted with responsibility or not being able to handle responsibility, being invisible to key people, and others don't believe in you or you've given up on yourself. With this movie, it's kind of, they're all kind of like blended. They're kind of like all like the things that need fixing are kind of all of those things. Mm -hmm. Like, like, uh, like uh, false beliefs. Like, so when, uh, when Elle loses her, uh, okay, for, first of all, we'll talk about strained personal relationships. Well, Warner breaks up with her. Right. Um, when we, when we meet her and, uh, Immediately after false beliefs, her friends say it was so sad. We all thought she'd be the first one to walk down the aisle, and now she's totally adrift. And then she sets herself on a mission. This is still in the first act to get Warner back. And her false belief is essentially that marriage to Warner is her purpose, like right. marriage specifically to Warner. So we get the false belief, um, not being tr entrusted with responsibility or not being able to handle responsibility. Where both Warner and her parents are like, you can't do that, like. You know, her parents are trying to talk her out of going to going to law school. So people her parents are, not... are her parents are so society it's ridiculous. They, <laughs> like they raised her and they don't even believe. Yeah, I know it's it's uh, and then and and then being invisible to key people, it's the same thing, right? Like they don't see her for anything more than a, than a dumb blonde, right? They don't not, like uh, even even technically. I mean, her friends believe in her; they're very supportive, but they're kind of like on that same train like there's there's gonna, like uh yeah. there's a whole come on you're, you know what you're actually gonna do come on yeah you know? yeah that's good yeah there's like that whole just a side by everyone though they do help her they do they help do. her study yeah. for the lsats so. i think also it's it, uh not to interrupt you but in the moment when Warner does before he breaks up with her it's pretty clearly written that l views herself as the future wife of a successful man you know what I mean? Like that's how she has also even even though she's smart and she's she can be accomplished, she doesn't view she's not looking upward. She's looking like sideways, you know what I mean? All the all the major things that would come in her life with marrying with a marrying, senator, right? A senator, right. which she, is what he wants. To she be, views yeah. her future as part of his life, not her own. That life. world, that yeah, world, that world. Yeah, Warner's yeah. world is her purpose, right? And that's the that's the main thing that needs fixing. Um, and then the others don't believe in you or you've given up on, on yourself. Um, like others, she hasn't given up in her, on herself at all, but like no one, no one believes in her, mm -hmm. you know, everyone thinks she can't do it. I mean, that's the whole movie. <laughs> so it's a very classic case of the six things that need fixing. It's another great example that if you're trying to learn, what is that? What does it look like? Watch this movie and, and hopefully it'll inspire ways to do those things with your own story and your own characters yeah and and tied to that because since we're on save the cat let's just jump into save yes. the cat stuff um the very essence of save the cat is you know you save a, a hero saves a cat and you're on their side you know you you there's somebody worth rooting for so in my, in my save the cat book i call i call that the rooting resume and i kind of expanded a little bit beyond just 
a save the cat moment because I think there's a lot of other things. You know, in this movie, you can almost click off a million boxes of why we should root for this character. And in fact, when I was watching it, I was like, why do I like this movie so much? And I think the reason is I wanted her to succeed so badly in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something... There's something amazing about this movie as far as that goes. I would say there's something amazing about Elle in general. Um, I was going to say, like, when, when I watched this, I watched this twice for this episode. So it came down to me, like, she kind of acts as a Ferris Bueller, except completely without privilege. You know, mm-hmm. like, Ferris Bueller is mm-hmm. kind of held yeah. up as, like, a king. And so is Elle, but not as soon as the second she leaves. We, we don't ever get to see Ferris outside of his element. Mm. Whereas she leaves and she's not in her element and she's still all of her values are completely and utterly intact. She is a very wholesome character. She believes mm-hmm. in everyone. She doesn't treat anyone differently. You know, she uh, she looks as though she doesn't. She looks as though everyone is an equal from the get go. And it never is challenged. That about her is never challenged. Even Vivian. Even Vivian, she's like, yeah, she even can and give she her. Has multiple, she has multiple opportunities to talk shit on Viv- Vivian. Paulette even asked her like about her, yeah, and she's like, she could use some highlights, but she's she's not that bad. She's not, like, a, you she's know not that mean? unfortunate like, looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's just she's just a wholly good human being. <laughs> like, there's that part of it, which also I, yeah. I think is part of because I, I think selfishness would come into play. Right in, in uh, how society would normally view her, but she's not that mm-hmm. at all. She yeah, is, yeah, yeah. She's a good person. One one character that always stands out to me is is the main character in Shawshank, mm-hmm. and the main character in Shawshank. The reason that character stands out to me is that's a very a movie filled with dread and tension and bad things. But that character is so unflappably optimistic. Uh, throughout the thing it just keeps moving forward on a path and the world tries to bring that person down and back but and and the person has their moments the lead character has their moments but they keep like fighting on and it it always stands out to me that character and that and i think l is a little like that in some ways um what happens with her and and just so there's this thing called the rooting resume and and again it's in my book uh, where i expand a little bit on save the cat and some of the things you can do in your scripts to help is you can make your characters. The number one is to make your character an underdog. Um, nobody like imagine this movie. If she wasn't an underdog, if she was rich and privileged and somehow bought her way through everything and it was easy, it just wouldn't. And I, it, it wouldn't work. Right. It wouldn't work at all. If she was not the underdog, if she was um, and th- this movie kind of usurps the fact that she, you know, puts her in an underdog place and the way it does it, is we immediately see how she's undervalued for the perception of who she is, the dumb blonde thing, that the California dumb blonde. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not as smart. <clears throat> and we see that right away in that scene that we talked about already. Um, in Blake's book, he calls, he calls that scene, I don't know if I agree that I, you know, sometimes he threw his terms out. He called it a kill the cat scene. And I'm like, how's that? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I, I, was trying to, I was trying to wrestle my head. Let me read you what he said super quick. Um, so he, de- he describes that. Uh, no, I'm sorry. This is for the next scene. This is, <laughs> the, the, when when she gets dumped by um, Reese, uh, he calls that the kill the cat scene. <clears throat> he said this variation on the save the cat scene is called kill the cat and works exactly the same way. Until this moment, we think Reese is a tad plastic, but after seeing her smushed, we feel for her. From this point forward, we'll root for her 
to get whatever she wants. And while I agree with everything, I'm just debating. The, I, I, kill I the mean, cat. outside, I don't know if I totally agree with, I know I'm too, am I to disagree with Blake Snyder? But <laughs> I feel like I'm rooting for her from the moment from the fashion store on. Absolutely. Like before she gets broken up with, I, I'm rooting for her already. Yeah. Yeah. Immediately. I mean, I'm rooting yeah. for her to actually like leave him when well, they meet like i don't want you know, them to get together <laughs> you know one of one of the rooting influence rooting resume is, is somewhere on here is that other people like them and uh and the the movie starts out with this mm -hmm. traveling congratulations card or good luck card from the entire sorority that's like traveling the campus and then the sorority house and everyone's signing she's the most it, popular. And it she's the most so popular, like yeah. everybody likes her before you even meet her you see all these people are like rooting her on which tells you a lot yeah. about how she who she is before she's, we even meet her she's enriched their lives like it's someone obvious. knocks on the door someone knocks on the door before before we even meet l someone knocks on the door and says hey can you help me out with that thing you were helping me out with before it's like these little subtle things that like you know so that checks a box for us oh my god she's like helping out this she's helpful and you know yeah yeah, yeah generous and yeah, yeah. It, so she's well liked she and 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 she she respects the other people at the same time. It's reciprocated. So mm -hmm. we can see why she'd be well liked. There are other things too, like just that she's kind of naive and silly and stuff like that. I mean, in, in a way, that's something there's a, there's she has a, to overcome. There's a purity there's to a, that though. There is. It's, yeah. She's very likable. It's like there's there's something um very fun about her, like you say, a purity to it. She's very wholesome. Um, so when she has that catastrophic disappointment. I mean, that is a huge thing that helps us empathize with the character. Uh, we feel, because for all her privilege that she may have, um, she she has, uh, you know, basically the, she has the, we see her suffer like the worst disappointment she's ever suffered in her life. And to do so in a very unjust way. So the world's treating her unjust throughout the whole, throughout the whole thing. And then the the hits keep coming. I mean, she she does things that we wish we could be like. She sets her mind to something, and she actually shows that she's really smart. She's able to get into Harvard. I mean, it's she does it in a creative yeah. sort of way, you so, know. Yeah, like you um, said, it's not just her parents buying her way into Harvard. She gets into Harvard for yeah. real, normal, for real. Yeah, and that that's that's yeah. really important. Yeah, that's, it is. That's a it is. key a key thing that she gets in there, and that's why we're we're on board with her because she actually made it into Harvard. She passed. The LSAT the way she needed to. Uh, she built her video. She got in. Yeah. Um, you know, all, all those things are, are super critical. She and, and they're things that we wish we were more, again, like her. Um, she's empathetic. You know, the nail salon friend becomes her good friend and she cares about her. She she tries to help her. Um, she she has things like she's super loyal. We find that out later on when she uh, won't give up the secret of the mm -hmm. client of Ellie Larder's mm -hmm. uh, secret, um, no matter what, even though it could benefit her. So she's crazy loyal and the hits keep coming and coming and coming like that. They just, they almost never stop. Then and that's why, it, yeah. it, it, that's why it goes beyond save the cat, like save the cat feels like, Oh, you do this one thing and that's all you have to do. Yeah. 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 But, the, but that's kind of like the minimal thing you have to do. You know, And it's I think like, it's very instructive in that way, because like you said, Jamie, a lot of, a lot of writers approach it. Like you only need to throw those rooting influencers in there in the beginning, but you can keep them piling on and just nonstop. You can use those same techniques you're using to set up a character and get us like, 
to root for them, you can just keep doing the same thing in different ways for the duration of your story, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a a lesser movie would have made her, uh, again, privileged and spoiled and all these things and then just have her nice to her little dog and they'd be like, okay, that's enough. Yeah, she's got a dog. Actually, I was going to say having a dog is a rooting influencer. Yeah, having having a dog is one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Caring about kind of animals, caring about it, and uh, and kind of loving the dog and showing you have that softer side. And if it was a Jim Carrey movie where he was a total jerk and needed to learn a lesson, maybe that would be enough. The one (laughs) thing there's the dog. Yeah, Yeah. he loves that dog, and maybe maybe there's hope for him in the end to not be such a jerk. Um, I think one of the things this comes back to, and I. I haven't put this into the lab, so I'm not sure if this if this is going to hold true. <laughs> we, when we talked about the Jekyll and Hyde thing earlier, the outward appearance being the California blonde, but the inward side being um, kind of a positive, a good. Where I think like the like the Jim Carrey thing, I, I don't know. I, it might are be you, an emerging are, thing. Are you like I, comparing I this like, to Bruce Almighty type of thing, where it's like he's a complete <laughs> asshole at the beginning? Yeah, of the movie? something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like their inward, their inner self needs to be healed in those movies. This this is not the case. Doesn't need to be healed. She's a yeah, good person. Yeah, it's, yeah. that's right. That's yeah. right. So if you circle that hide part and hide isn't corrupt, um, it's it. There is something a little a little different than that. It's more like an emerging or confidence. Uh, we we once we're going to get the character arc next. I think it is my bad transition. Um, but, <laughs> We, we talked about the two major character arcs, right? The learn to care more or learn to be more confident. And she's more the learn to be more confident. Well, I think the learn to care more is the person that needs the kind of corrupt inner self fixed a little I, bit. That's, that's Selma Blair in this movie, right? Even though it's, it's a small arc. but Yeah, it could be. It could be. I, yeah. she, it's more like Selma Blair learns that she's the villain. And she, uh, well, yeah, and then and, she learns to care she's, more. She's stereotyping. She's stereotyping. Yeah, um, so she um, learns to care more. Yeah. Yeah, Jamie, yeah. this is a very. Th- this is my favorite part of the, of what we've lined up to talk about that I want to talk about with the two of you guys because it's I I I had a very spirited talk with my wife who this is like one of my wife's favorite movies and about uh what does L arc. And uh, so I'm interested to see so, what you guys think. I, I, I did write a point on this last week because we had to cancel an episode. Oh, that was your point. That okay. Is, so this is my point. I wrote this the first time I had watched it in years, which was last week. And then we had to cancel. So, I yeah, I'm glad you want to talk I, about this. because I was. Oh, man. And, and by the way, when you brought this up, I was thinking about this the whole time I was watching. See, this so we were all thinking good. the same thing. This makes yeah, me feel dude, good. It's okay, great good. discussion. Okay. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Bob, what made you think that way? So I wrote down, uh, does the movie function like a flat arc? The world around her changes and bends to her. Uh, Now, and I also wrote, belief in herself is easily stated in the last line of the movie. It's like literally just a part of the dialogue. So I'm not saying she doesn't change, but there's a part of me that feels like she's so virtuous as a person that I don't... There's a difference between a character learning something mm-hmm. about themselves and changing as a person isn't there mm-hmm. yes i feel yes. like there's two separate things yes. there it's yes. very nuanced but i don't yes. like is l 
a different person at the end of the movie than she was at the beginning? It's an interesting question because I think there can be an argument for both. Yes. And, and so, and honestly, when I was watching, I was, I was getting ready. I was like going to write the flat arc <laughs> question. Like I was debate as I was watching the movie. Um, but, and, and uh, the way I always look at flat arc is like, I think Superman, Superman stories, yeah, right. mostly in the comic, right. Is like Superman never, you know, I mean, Zack Snyder aside or something. <laughs> Christopher Superman, is, Superman kind of this, is an easy one to say. Yeah. Yeah. Superman's kind of this idealistic character. His heart's in the right place. He knows what's right. But then the world keeps challenging him. Like, well, what if we kill Lewis Lane if you do that? Are you still a good guy? You know, we'll blackmail mm -hmm. you. And the, and the world's fighting against his inner code and he's wrestling against it. And ultimately, kind of usually in a good Superman story, figures it out and everybody is the better for it. They rise up to be as good as Superman almost. He improves, like he you improves know, the world. Inspired. He improves society he around improves the him. world. <laughs> hmm? she, she does that too. Yeah. She does that too. She she's herself. She stays true to her values, even when she's screwed over in that bunny suit thing. She's mm -hmm. like, you know, good one on you, but I'm yeah. just going to stand here and be myself. You know, it's yeah. a real empowering movie, and you know, even then, people kind of look and say, you know, what you did is, you know, you could see people changing, like looking at her and in saying, right there, yeah, yeah, I can be better because she she can overcome these things and be herself. There's another way to be just by looking at her. Right. So that is totally a flat arc. However, there's another side of me that looks at it and says, could the her in the beginning of the movie have done the things she did in the end? And I say no. Yeah, so, there's that. There is that too. Uh, so Jamie, that's your classic. So Jamie, you, you have this great exercise, the before and after snapshot of your mm -hmm. character, which you just like described. And it's really interesting, right? Because I actually think, okay, so I'm gonna, I think she does change, but oddly, I wouldn't call it an arc um, in that like she finds new purpose. And the first half of the movie is a wrong way goal. And her goal is to get Warner back because she believes that being a part of Warner's world is her purpose, like as Warner's world as his wife of the senator and everything. And I'm not saying like she thinks like marriage is like her only future. It's more about being in, in his, getting Warner, marrying Warner. She loves Warner. No, Warner's so, the reason she goes to Harvard. Right. It's and then yeah. when we'll get we'll get to later in when we hit the midpoint and she realizes like, no, that's. I can do this. I can like have my own future that doesn't involve Warner and do things for myself. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, she does change and she finds new purpose and she couldn't do the things that she would do when we met her because that wasn't her purpose. But I think she's fully capable. Like, I think if you put her in a courtroom in the opening scene and she had the like legal jargon, the realization that she makes about the perm is something she knew when we met her and the tenacity that she has and the confidence in herself. I don't, I, I think no, she, she would still be the same in that regard. She would still yeah. win the case. Um, like her, her legal, her legal knowledge does not win the case. Her, 
her like the things about herself that she already had that she was passionate about like you know that she gives that line that i didn't write down about like the rules of hair care any any cosmo girl would know well she knew that when we met her and also like i don't think she is somebody who doesn't believe in herself i think she believes in herself from the moment we meet her i don't think she ever needs to learn how to believe in herself she's got a 4.0 gpa she's the president of her sorority she's tenacious as shit she's like super well achieved and like like so we don't see her become a person she believes how about this at the end she believes in herself as a lawyer yes in her new purpose. In her new purpose. Yeah. yeah like, it's yeah, not yeah, in herself. Yeah. It's herself as this. Like, I can do and a new this. Pur- yeah. This new purpose. New life. Goal, yes. New yeah, life. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a, weird because it's, for it's, a movie that's so classic and so beloved and feels so cookie cutter, it's not at all like in that no, way. There, there's the, um, it's a definitely weird discussion because I'm, I'm, and I'm glad I wrote that down because I was definitely yeah, like, I was definitely like, is she sure? Like, Learning some new information is not changing as a person. Like you said, her just knowing how shit works now doesn't mean she's different. Her being herself wins the case in a way that no one in that room or that school could have ever done. Exactly. And so she stays herself completely. So completely. So the world does and the world's everybody. They have that great. Every person in the courtroom gets their own reaction shot mm -hmm. because it's like, Everyone in the world who didn't believe that she was capable of this the is oh having gods. their eyes open. All the oh my gods! That's all the villains, the society's villains, uh, being shown like you're wrong and you need to change your mindset. You know, because look, look at what you look at the look look at what she did. She she literally live- stayed herself and one <laughs> right like, yeah oh yeah, 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 yeah like the whole movie is her one scene after another yeah being frustrated not that she can't do it that people don't believe that she can do it right it's it's yeah. it's, right. it's it's there's some nuance there to yeah. what it is well i think i think that's very similar to what my perceived superman story is yeah. too yeah you know it's not like that superman ever really changes but sometimes he has doubts uh and oh the, yes, the doubts absolutely. are a big part of it sometimes he questions himself and we feel his stress and his pain because the world is a painful place and he's idealistic <laughs> so um and i think similar here like when we get to the all is lost and things like that like she's like you know i guess the world you know she has her doubts she's like i guess the world does think i'm a big idiot mm-hmm. and i should just go home and i should have never come here um and she needs she needs encouragement to stick it out. Mm-hmm. But she still she she it's more it's less that she didn't believe and more that she keeps getting knocked off her perch in some yeah. ways. Well, it's just to climb back up to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there it, is it, the moment there is the moment in the hair salon when her professor surprisingly is there and she says, you weren't you're, if you quit because of some asshole, you're not the girl I thought you were. Mm-hmm. There is I mean, that moment. And that and and that like yep. here's here's her 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 lines speak what the villain uh, what society's problem is like she says all people see when they look at me is blonde hair and big boobs that is the ill of society stereotyping right no one's ever gonna take me seriously the people sexism. at law school don't Warner doesn't sexism yeah. yeah I don't think I don't think my own parents take me seriously just like we said felt like for the first time someone expected me. So someone, not herself, someone else 
it felt like for the first time someone expected me to do more with my life than become a, a Victoria's Secret model. But I was just kidding myself. Callahan never saw me as a lawyer. He just saw me a, as a piece of ass, just like everyone else. Like So, like, I mean, she's stating, vocalizing how she feels about the world as a villain. And mm-hmm. we see that she's right. Like... Yeah. Well, she and she no, to say no, no, no. to clarify, she knows that she's not those things. Like she right. doesn't need she doesn't need to be taught that she's not those things. She's just saying no. society won't accept yeah. me. She, so. she, she needs the world to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, she needs the world to figure it out. She's already yeah. there. She knows what she is. Yeah, like and I, I, yeah, and I was just saying, like she, she knows she's right that society is the wall in front of her. right, right. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, like Superman, like you said, he would give up because. Nobody accepts his values. It's not that he doesn't know that they're right. He knows that yeah. they're true and they're right. But he's yeah. like, if they won't, if humanity won't accept them, what can I do? Right. And th- yeah. this is a very empowering movie in that way. You know, it's very metaphorical for, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, in that sense. So um, even in that context, it makes sense. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. the problem isn't necessarily in you. It's in, you know, maybe there's things holding you back that you have to fight through but yeah. it's not because of you. I mean, you have it within you already. Yeah. In some ways. That's the empowering part of it. Um, no, I buy it. I think that makes a lot of sense. I uh, think that like kind of push and pull between the two things we were talking about also makes the movie that much more interesting to watch, you know, and it also adds mm-hmm. to the comedy of it. Like, you know, because mm-hmm. at no point do you doubt L. Right. There's no, no, no moment that you doubt L in this movie just ever. Yeah. It's funny. I never really thought of her like of the superhero mold, but but there is an element there no, without is, the supernatural she, power. She absolutely is. She, she is not just good. She is virtuous. You know, like she is. Yeah. She is a, a force of of a truth. <laughs> like she just yeah. is. Justice. <laughs> yeah. Since we brought it up, um, I had a later point about the break into three because we kind of brought it up. Mm-hmm. Um. I have a lot of people that ask me about the break into three. It's a, it's a problem people have. So the break into three is a save the cat terminology for the moment that takes us into act three. It kind of transitions us from an all is lost moment where somebody is the worst thing happened. In this case, it's when um, the the uh, her boss or Cal- whatever. Callahan. Yeah, Callahan, Callahan. Yeah. When he, when he kind of makes a move on her and she, she, uh, you know, blows up and, and, and quits and, uh, you know, walks out on him. And so, and that's her lowest point because she doesn't think society can ever see past, you know, the physical side or whatever mm-hmm. they think are the stereotypes. Um, and then in this movie, um, the break into three. So it's kind of the point where she's down low. What's going to get her to keep going, to, to come up with a new plan to try to succeed? Like, when does she make that decision to go forward and keep going? And in some movies, it would have been, this is the bad example, but uh, from this, I'm just plucking this from this movie. You can imagine if she was getting her hair done in the nail salon and they talked about perms and she was like, perms, aha, that's the Uh thing. Right, right. So some movies, that would be the break into three. It's that new piece of information that allows them to realize they can win, right? And, and, And that's like the plot driven version of it. Um, in a lot of TV shows I watched as a kid, like Murder, She Wrote, it would be something like that. It would be like, yeah, yeah, you know, the Bleach. Aha! I know who did it, or something. You know, <laughs> um, uh, it's like Independence Day, right? When he says you, you're going to catch a cold, 
And then yeah. he's like, wait a minute, I'll give all the right. ships a, a cold. cold. Yeah, yeah, great. It's like te- television when I grew up, every show, that's what it did <laughs> that's to what get it did. to the third act. It was like, yeah. it was like this is so lame. Uh, but uh, so this um, this movie does the other version of it, which I think is the internal version of it. It's the encouragement. It's the character arc version of it where somebody uh, reminds them you, uh, Jamie, you broke up a little bit there. Them internal side. Oh, yes. Okay. It, Repeat it. Make Repeat sure my it. mic's Repeat set. Repeat um, it. It's not you. It's the connection. Yeah. So. Th- yeah. No worries. Uh, so this movie does the opposite. It does the internal side of it, where it kind of has a mentor figure, kind of reminds them, and course corrects them internally, so that they can carry on with the journey. And it's that scene where the professor overhears her, in the. Uh, in the nail salon and then comes over and says, you know, if you let a prick do this, you know, you're not the girl. I yeah. I think it's like a one, two punch, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. Emmett gives her encouragement too. So it's like both of those encourager characters. Yep. Yep. And, and usually then it's usually combined with that choice to do something there, whatever the plan is. This one, there's another, there's kind of like the other characters conspire to get her hired as the lawyer that, that kind of happens too. So it's kind of like both of those things together uh gotcha. is, is she gets the course correction which she'd need because just getting hired her as as the lawyer she might not do it if she wasn't course corrected but you know right she, right she, she was true. just gonna walk out yeah 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 that's cool yeah it's it, it reminds me when you're saying that i had I, I didn't really think about the two versions of a break into three um it reminds me of like the mate speaking of superhero reminds me of like the matrix when neo's like doubting hi- himself and that he can um you know help save uh morpheus and uh trinity's like no like the you have to because you're the one like the oracle she's like that window character reminding him of his purpose and that he can do this and bringing him back up and as we talked about in that episode we were shocked at how internally focused the matrix is how how much that story is driven by neo's internal growth as opposed to like the plot um so yeah it's true yeah no it works also like to i always try to put stuff in more layman's terms so what you're basically saying is the break into three here is about l it's not about the case this isn't a yes. courtroom movie yeah even though it does well, have a courtroom yeah. scene it's not well, a courtroom so. movie the actual case is not the point <laughs> like at all <laughs> like it's that, that's not her struggle you know yeah she she figures it out then goes to the courtroom and uses her own wildliness to do it yeah it's basically yeah. like everybody saying like screw callahan screw screw the society's stereotypes just stay true to yourself like you've been doing um so yeah. i'm gonna shirk my transitioning ability right now for to admit <laughs> that, that would have been a hard one that did jamie skipped over two things <laughs> so, yeah. like yeah. i don't know where we're going right now but uh we technically would be talking about fun and games, not so right. fun. And I'm kind of yeah. interested to hear this one. So the fun and games is is the section of the script where, you know, usually it's kind of the act two and save the cat when you first start act two. And it's a hero pursuing a goal in the face of obstacles. And a lot of students and stuff kind of confuse this. They think fun and games should be fun and light and not a lot of tension or something like that. And when I was watching this movie, they they keep piling horrible things on her from the very beginning. 
Like she shows yeah, up on definitely. campus, people are laughing at her. She goes to class. She gets check kicked out, out of Malibu class. Barbie. Check out Malibu Barbie. She gets kicked out in her first day after being nice. You know, she gets thrown out of class. Um, she gets, you know, she just get keeps getting unjustly beaten up and uh, beaten down. Like she shouldn't be there in the fun and games. So I, I just thought that this was a very instructive movie to watch to realize that fun and games is not necessarily fun for your character. It might be the most miserable time. In some ways, she has more fun in the second half of the movie than she does in the first half when she's on a lull team and she's getting respected. Um, but the first half isn't fun at all. And, um, and it ultimately leads to the next thing, which I call in this movie, I, I, I've noticed these, I've started to catal categorize these as not quite all is lost moments. <laughs> or okay. Right. Right. Um, because she's, she suffers something that could be an all is lost in, a, in another movie. Like you could see us, let's say we didn't have the courtroom drama part of it. Let's say we, we were brainstorming our movie and we didn't have that legal case in the end. It was just about school. You could see where the all the midpoint, which I'm dubbing, I'm dubbing the midpoint. It's arguable where the midpoint is, but it's around the midpoint. When um, her, what's what's the guy's name again? Warner. 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 Yeah. Where Warner ba basically says, you know, you don't belong here. Um, and he, he basically he says, you're not he, smart enough. He says, you're not smart enough. He he, he basically finishes it with her forever. It's done. That, that really is an all is lost kind of moment. I mean, you could totally see in a different movie where that would be the all is lost moment. And this is the midpoint. Um, and the reason I think that's so fascinating is a lot of people, when they're brainstorming and they're outlining, a lot of times I'm constantly telling my students, your all is lost should be your midpoint. I'm constantly telling my students that I see an all is lost. Sometimes their all is lost should be their midpoint and their high tower surprise should be their all is lost and they need a new <laughs> uh, finale <laughs> or something. But keep in mind when you're outlining, if you're using kind of a save the cat thing, sometimes your all is lost could get slotted as a midpoint and you need a bigger all is lost moment. Mm -hmm. And this movie, this movie, that's, that, that's the way it works. It kind of is plot twisty in that way. The gotcha. big plot twist is, Halfway through the movie, she doesn't care about him anymore. She just wants to graduate law, law school. It's a plot twist. It's a goal change in some ways. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's like it's like almost yeah. another movie. It's not another movie, yeah. but it's like just okay. So we're shirking that whole thing, and yeah, it's really she, early she, on. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's super. Yeah, early it's on. a classic wrong way goal story, right? Like right. the first half is is the wrong way goal, and we know it's the wrong way. We as the audience know, and we're rooting for her. To align with what we know. You're better than this. You don't need him. Do it for yourself. And then she does. And she realizes, like, he's never going to see me as anything other than a dumb blonde with big boobs. And so, fuck that. <laughs> and and usually around the midpoint is where you have this internal turning point. And, and off, you know, moral premise calls it the moment of grace. Uh, uh, the... The Rick and Morty guy, I can't think of his name, Don Harmon. Dan uh, Dan, 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 Dan Harmon. Dan. I wanted to call him Don. 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 Don Harmon, his Don. brother, uh, calls it <laughs> calls it the goddess moment. Um in in his in his version. Uh and it's kind of an internal learning check mark. And sometimes it happens before the midpoint, sometimes it happens like right before the midpoint, sometimes it happens at the midpoint, sometimes it happens 
right after the midpoint. But somewhere around there, there's usually some internal look in the mirror moment. And I think that's what she has here. Uh, I think she she sees what's going on. She looks in the mirror and says, I don't want to be, you know, this guy doesn't deserve me, basically. And yeah. I, I have other priorities. And she switches up. So I think it's a yeah. really instructive one to see. Um, by the way, it's not quite the only reason it's not quite the midpoint. It's like the 42 minute mark. 42, for the minutes. 42 minutes. 44 yeah. minutes um, is the midpoint. It's two minutes away. It's, you you it's could, fine. yeah. There, there's a way you could argue that, like, I could see you arguing that when she um, is asked to hand her resume for the big internship, like, that could be a midpoint as well. But I, I kind of view that this major turning point is more the midpoint. That's, that's just my own personal. Well, and you know what, Jamie, bouncing off of uh, what you were talking about, where the fun and games, there's a there's a fun and games part two that starts. There's a fun and games really like part three that starts when she now has that new goal, which is for herself to succeed in law school. And we get to see her like buying a laptop and doing, you know, getting her hair, done, her doing her homework it's, while she's at the salon. And it's yeah. a montage. It's, yeah. a mon it's, it's literally montage. a montage of, yeah, of, Har yeah. of Harvard stuff. Yeah, and I wanted yeah. to say, like, we, we we kind of got out of fun and games before I wanted to say, like, this movie's a great example uh, where if the premise delivery is strong enough, if you come up with so as so many, as many premise-specific scenarios as possible, the whole movie can feel like fun and games. Right. And I feel like this is an example where any moment in the movie, you could pop in the trailer and it sells the movie. Like, whether it's 30 minutes in, whether it's 50 minutes in, you just take one scene out of the movie and put it in a trailer and you'll know what the movie is. Um, it's because it's so clear. Clearly, yeah. she's a fish and she is seriously out of water and you can, yeah. just, you can just feel it with everything she says. Well, the the delivery on the promise is so right. strong and so specific. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my my arc is just accepting that it's not always going to work with the transitions. That's my arc. I've learned that it, that it's always not going to work out, but you can still get to to the end somehow. <laughs> you, you, you know what? You know what's sad though. Um, Jimmy laid it right out there for you to say, like, um, and speaking he, of premise, I mean, one way you can bring yeah. that running games <laughs> is you can actually twist it back in itself, and. Uh, <laughs> Does this movie do that, Jimmy? What do you think? There you go. Yeah, Jamie did it. So, Jamie did it for me. That I good so, job, man. <laughs> so when you're coming up with ideas on your whiteboard, uh, one thing Jamie and I have talked of we we like to call something called premise pretzels, where it's taking the idea of the premise and really even taking like uh, a a scenario you come up with and twisting it in as many different ways as possible that the movie allows you to explore. So there's a couple great examples of a premise pretzel in this movie. Um, the first one is, um, and, and there, there's also, there, there's also a bit of repetition. It's kind of the same thing in this case, but, uh, um, getting big news when, when she's, uh, when she takes the LSATs and she's at her sorority, uh, the whole sorority is crowded around her waiting for her results of the LSATs. And she gets the LSATs. She, she got what she needed to get into Harvard. And the whole sorority lifts her on their shoulders and rejoices. Yay! Okay. 50 minutes in, she's like trying to 
push her way into a crowd that's around a piece of paper of, of Callahan has chosen people to help him with his cases and uh, chosen interns. And she pushes her way in. And, and so it's the opposite. Like no one is uh, supporting her or encouraging her. And she finds out that she got on, on the team and no one is happy for her. So it's a great example of a premise pretzel where they took the same idea and they did it completely different, but it's like the same concept. Um, and she's never had premise. that before. She's still like, she's never yeah. been completely like unsupported oh, in that oh, moment. Oh, I, by everyone around right. her. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a great example of a premise pretzel. And then another one is when we see her help David, the other lawyer that you were talking about, Bob, um, uh, when so Dave David asks a woman out on campus, and he's a Harvard student, just like they are. Mm-hmm. So, like as far as like from an education standpoint, he's on the same level. Um, he belongs there. He belongs there, right? He's yeah. earned his place there. And they literally say to him, because because he's nerdy, they say, "Girls like me don't go out with losers like you." And she overhears right. this, and that is like how people treat her. Um, and she swoops in and pretends that David was the best lover she's ever had. And then the, the woman that originally turned him down asked him when he wants to go out. So it's a great example of a premise pretzel, right? Instead of L receiving this mistreatment, L witnesses someone else, you know, receiving this mistreatment and does the same thing she's been doing to help somebody else. So, right. It's, yeah. It's a great example of, of taking an idea and twisting it around and doing the same thing with it, only different in the same story. Also, he's the he's sort of the uh, as society goes, he's sort of the inverse of L. Yes, where he's viewed as super smart and completely unattractive. You know what I yeah. mean? Like he's like the inverse Fantastic. of her premise. You know? Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's but, great, Bob. That's a great. That's a great. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, it works like that. It's good. But it's it's kind of like it uses a premisey notion um creatively repetitive in some mm-hmm. ways i but was gonna al- say that. i was gonna say that. you can also <laughs> use repetition to show character growth in your story right right jimmy it's funny i thought i cut this off of the outline um because we have so much but it it's great um yeah so uh a very easy way to show the audience that your character is growing is to introduce them uh, either succeeding and then show them in the same situation uh, failing over time or introduce them into a situation where they are failing and show them learn how to succeed. And so this is a great example of that. Like we see her in the class uh, and she's unprepared. And this is a person who we've witnessed work her ass off to get here. But even then she gets into class and it's like, oh, yeah, I have to be prepared for this, too. And she's unprepared in that, you know, uh, Vivian shows her up. And then we see over the course of, of the various classroom scenes how her she's stepping up her legal knowledge. She's getting a note, uh, a laptop like the rest of them, where originally she just had a piece of paper and the fluffy pen that we talked about before. But by the end of those series of scenes, and it's not a montage, like it, it it's shown over those those uh, those classroom scenes are planted kind of over the course of the second act, and uh, we just get to see her get better and better in the classroom scenario, and it shows us how she's growing into like a better lawyer. A better person who's like more focused on her purpose of being a 
good lawyer instead of just being Warner's getting Warner to marry her. So, yeah. I feel like we haven't also pointed out it's not just about her being a better lawyer. It's that she's actually, like, enjoying it. She's actually yeah. found something she loves and she's passionate, but she, she's finding a passion in the movie actively. It's not just that she's good at it or that, you know what I mean? It's she's, she likes it. <laughs> she, yeah. she wants to help people and she found a different way. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. And passion is what she talks about in that end. Yeah. Right. You know, exactly. And yeah. in the end monologue. Right. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't put it on the, um, we didn't put it on the beats, but that end monologue, it's a great example of like, you put it in the wrong movie, somebody just like stating the lesson of the movie out loud. And it, it feels really dumb. But here, like the purpose of that scene is for her to like speak a thematic lesson to everyone in the crowd. <laughs> so it works like she, they found a way that was organically allowed them to like state the lesson. Um, I, I was, thought it was like that was really clever. On that note, too, I think the last thing I'd want to actually ask you guys is how do you feel about like, I don't know what you call those end uh, lower thirds that like Animal House did and this movie does. How do you feel about that with as far as story goes? Because you're you are literally like telling and not showing. I I love them. I'm not saying I don't love them, but it's an interesting writing tactic too if you think about it. Because you know what I mean. It's not you're not showing. Go ahead, Jamie, and then I'll comment. Um, I think they're crowd pleasers. I yeah. think a, a lot of people do like them. They enjoy them. And if I think if you're into the movie, you enjoy them. If, if it's like the worst movie you've ever seen and then they put them up, then you're eye rolling them, you know, you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did this for this movie. Um, uh, I, there, there's a part of me that I would only do it if I was sending them up in some ways. Cause they've been done so often. Like yeah, I, I'd have right. a hard time doing them with a straight face, like on our ironically, this was, this was 20 years ago. So I, it's forgivable still then. Right. Yeah. yeah. My wife and I always wonder like, where did, what, who created that? Uh, trope like what was the first movie to do that I'd love to find that out but uh, Animal House was certainly the first one that I think people associated with it's definitely the first comedy movie to do that I think gotcha because I, well, I think people were cracking up when they saw it. They, they, they thought that was so hilarious to find out what would happen to it's all also, the It's also a place yeah. just to throw in more jokes yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, to show. I mean, we are we, they, we are talking comedy, so and they do that in this one. Like Warner fails, <laughs> like does not finish with honors, does with, not become a girlfriend, and does not yeah, have any yeah. job. Does prospects. not have any girlfriend, right? Yeah. But uh, I kind of I this is I don't want to end on like a downer note with the movie, but like I actually don't like the Emmett proposal thing. I think it diminishes yeah the importance of what she just did. It sort of like pulls it back a little and says like it feels very much like a studio note like they I, tested yeah, it yeah yeah I, I love the way they stayed away from the love relationship yes. the whole thing Didn't and then need to, it. to kind of throw it in there it's like oh the only way she can truly feel like a win is if she actually got married exactly still. the, the song like, perfect day and then yeah. she's got a big ass smile it's the very last thing it, that's stated on screen it, it kind of like, betrays it, it betrays her being on her own and succeeding. Yes, one hundred percent. I'm glad you guys agree with. It me. doesn't make the movie bad in any way. No, but, and no. It, and it sucks that it's just done with some text. <laughs> like, oh, it's like so... it could totally like him just staring at her and clapping would be fine. 
that's right. absolutely fine. Then you kind of know, hey, maybe they might get together or they were together. It doesn't matter. It it's, doesn't matter. That's yeah, not yeah. what this movie's about. It's not. And, it's and, not. And, and and like you said, Jamie, now it's like saying like, okay, well. She finally got only, a guy to propose the to only, Yeah, The only way that she's going to be a success or happy is to have a man. And that's bullshit. I don't think that's what this I movie think, is I, saying. You, and and then in the last tag, it's like the last thing. <laughs> I think you could do it properly somehow. Like if you wrote it like it's not it's not giving her any worth. It's just that you know, now she has found someone that truly, you know, appreciates, appreciates her, her yeah, properly, yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. the way it's done is so quick. It's like a joke. It's like so quick uh, and simple. It's like, uh, I hate it. It's not the point. It's yeah. I hate it. So w- <laughs> would you have preferred a cannibal run like blooper reel at the end? <laughs> hey, why not? That would have been great. <laughs> Them or- all singing a song like 40 year old virgin and something about Mary. <laughs> right. Um, or they yeah. all sing. They all sing like a song with the with the uh, bend and pop or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I yeah if I if I ever you know get to write a movie like this, I think I want to throw all of them in. I'm going to have the text. I'm going to throw the Bollywood, <laughs> and then I want to throw the blooper reel all in. I'm all just in this and and a post credit scene. I'm going to just throw them all in. It'll be like a 45 minute. You know, last you'll be like the movie's done, and you're sitting there 45 minutes why later. What's like, happening? Why, yeah, <laughs> what is happening here? It's just all, and it's yeah. still text too. There's text while there's more jokes being said. Like you have text yeah. on actual dialogue, <laughs> <laughs> competing with each other for jokes. Or, or maybe that'll be my art film. Is it'll be a 10 minute long movie, but then there'll be like 90 <laughs> minutes of that going on in the end. That'll be my. <laughs> the story will be told there. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad I brought that up because that is kind of the one if I had a, if I had a criticism it's that yeah I don't one like it. dumb fucking piece of text <laughs> I hate it yeah Emmett's going to propose to her tonight yeah it's the perfect day uh, yeah yeah but uh, that would bring us to the end of our outline and I, f- <laughs> I guess my arc is that sometimes you don't always win but you have friends there. To help you along the way. Yes. It <laughs> sounds like a it sounds like a very Kevin Smith kind of uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> in the end. <laughs> um, did you, I mean, we kind. I think I feel like we almost don't need to do this. But did you guys want to say anything you learned from watching Legally Blonde again? In in the probably the first time for all of us in a big handful of years. I Jamie, definitely... Jamie the first time ever, right? <laughs> so, I, I what. Ahead, I think David. I'd re- I think I'd remember if I had watched all of it before. Like I remember things like the bend and snap, and I yeah, kind of yeah, remember yeah. the opening. I think I probably caught bits and pieces of it over the years, and and I've seen a bunch of beat sheets and stuff. But um, yeah, I don't I don't remember the second half of it at all. So I, yeah, in some ways. But anyway, what I would take from it, again, I was so impressed by how much I wanted her to win, um, that. I, I would almost like to try a flat arc kind of thing like that. I think it's a hard thing to pull off, mm-hmm. but I, I sort of would like to try a script that has a flat arc. It needs the right story uh, to, to mm-hmm. do it. Uh, most stories won't work, but I, I would almost think that stories wouldn't work like that. But I think this one, this one kind of shows me that not only did they work, but they can work really in an awesome way if you do if you pull them off in the right way. I, I'm gonna say I learned two things. We don't really, we don't never say two things, but I'm I'm gonna share two things. Um, the first one is, I really like 
revisiting this, I really forgot how little emphasis there is on a single antagonist. And it's like a really unconventional um, in that way, in that society is the villain. And it's not just it's not just with with L. Like you see the other characters experiencing that same stereotype and working through it like like uh, Vivian has put herself in a box, you know, and she realizes like Callahan only sees me as a woman in a room to give me coffee. And Paulette is grows out of that same stereotyping about her husband as, as uh, not having a, as a woman, not having agency that he can just walk all over that she learns, you know, to overcome that. And it's just, it's a great example of putting a face on a society, society as a villain and telling a story that doesn't have like a main antagonist. And it's a really great example of that. Um, And then the other thing is the, the flat arc, right? Like I, in my mind, this is a movie with a character who has like a, 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 pow, a profound like character arc of, of growth and change. But really, she's a badass when we meet her. And she's just going the wrong way as far as like uh, what her what she believes her purpose is. And so that was really that was really instructive to me that you could tell a story where the character doesn't really change. It's more their purpose changes. And so. Um, but you feel it, right? Like you feel that change, even though she's still kind of the, just as strong as she was when we met her. So, well, Jimmy just took mine because I was going to say the oh, flat arc thing too. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, that was that's that was I think revisiting the movie. That's the thing that stood out to me the most. Like, I might not, I don't think I've watched this movie. I'd say in a decade, probably. Um, that stood out to me just exactly. Maybe it is who also we are as uh, older people. I don't know, but it stood out mm-hmm. to me is just how virtuous she was and well formed she is. And I was just like, this uh, this actually uh, makes the movie better. She, she's she's not um, her morals aren't challenged. Her belief in others aren't challenged. I love that about this movie. So like, like it actually made it go up in my list of where it probably sat before of like favorite comedies. Like it's, yeah. It, it, yeah. It's something I didn't notice 20 years ago, you know, I would never have. So yeah, that's where, that's what I pretty much took away from it. Um, I think that's it. That's everything. Yeah, right, thanks, guys? thanks for doing this guys. Like I brought this up. I wasn't sure how you guys would be into it, but like this is, I love this movie. This is one of my favorite comedies. So I appreciate you guys. You better love it. Your wife loves it. <laughs> <laughs> she's given me an even greater appreciation of it of course i'm joking but. of course also but. she also loved hereditary and he didn't like that oh man i can check, imagine that dinner conversation check the archives oh my god yeah that's like the one episode that bob and i got at it has jill seen hereditary did she like it no never i'm married <laughs> I, I make I make horror movies and I met a, I married a woman who doesn't like horror and that's fine. Amazing. Opposites yeah. attract. Paul yeah, Abdul taught us that lesson years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll uh, I guess we'll see everybody on the uh, Ten Things I Hate About You episode and then yeah. she's all that episode and whatever. <laughs> the skulls. Yeah, we're doing nothing but '90s teen movies from now on. So Ace Ventura two, all right. <laughs> I, you know, I do it, oh, Jamie. It's really yeah, just about. I'll do any. I'll do any stupid movie. But it's like <laughs> when you said Legally Blonde, I was the first thought in my head was like, "Are we gonna get Jamie to watch Legally Blonde?" <laughs> that was my first thought. <laughs> so yeah, I guess that's that's everything, guys. All okay. right, thanks for listening, guys. Thank you, everybody. 
You've just listened to Writer's Blockbusters, a screenwriting podcast featuring two professionals and another guy. Available only on Thundergrunt.